Hi, everybody. Welcome to reInvent. Uh, welcome to creating your virtual data center in the cloud. My name is Gina Morris. I'm an engineering manager. I work on EC2 networking. And I've been building features for you since 2010 um, on AWS. So, no matter what you do in AWS, there are two things that are going to be in the background of everything you do. The one is identity and access management, so it's a good idea to go out and learn a little bit about that. The second thing is VPC, Virtual Private Cloud. It's how you do networking in AWS. So what does it mean? What is Virtual Private Cloud? Well, it's virtual. It's your virtual network. Your virtual infrastructure is running in a virtual network. P is for private. It's private. It's entirely under your control. So you get to choose how it looks. You get to control what can and can't talk to what. And then C, it's your cloud. It's in the cloud. It's your cloud. It's your virtual private cloud. So, Show of hands, who here is a networking expert? Yeah, there we go, be brave. There we go, so you guys are gonna see a lot of stuff that's familiar, uh, a lot of concepts that you're going to recognize, but in pretty much every case, you're gonna find that it's more flexible, you get better visibility, and it requires significantly less maintenance than what you're used to. Everyone else who isn't a networking expert, Maybe you don't want to become a networking expert. You want to use your time to get really deep in other areas. You want to work on building applications to deliver value to your customers. You don't want to worry about the network. And I've got good news for you. VPC is easy to use. You're going to be able to get up, get set, and get going while um, being secure pretty quickly. In fact, I think in about the first 20, 25 minutes of this talk, I'll give you everything you need to know to get started. Now, there are a lot of you here. This is an introductory level session. 200 is the lowest. Um, this is 201. It's an intro session. So if you are already an expert in VPC, you're pretty familiar with how things work, this may not be the session for you. So letting you know ahead of time what to expect. Those of you who really want to learn about VPC, you've come to the right place. Yeah, I got the second part, which is using the clicker correct. Okay, this is an EC2 instance. It's a virtual server, and it's running in AWS. And the E is for elastic. You wanna scale this up, you wanna scale down, you want more of them, you want less of them. So you're gonna have a lot of change. You're gonna have this dynamic set of, of servers. And it's running in our network. It's running in the AWS network. But because it's your infrastructure, we're gonna let you run it in your network, your virtual private cloud. And you have control. So you're gonna pick the IP ranges. You're gonna pick specific IPs for specific things. You're going to divide this network up into sub-networks, and we'll talk a little bit about how you use these sub-networks for higher availability. And you're gonna also choose what parts of your network or your whole network, what connectivity you give that network. So what are we doing today? What's the agenda? 
So firstly, we're going to get uh, you familiar with the basic anatomy of a VPC. What are the pieces? How do they do? How do they work? What are they for? Secondly, I'll walk you through a, a basic example. And the simplest example is an internet-connected VPC, because that's going to pretty much solve most of your initial use cases. And that's going to be the first half of the talk. The second half of the talk, we're going to focus on different connectivity options other than just internet access for everyone. Uh, we'll also take a look at different AWS services and how they interact with your VPC. So more than just EC2. So the simplest VPC, I said, is an internet-connected VPC, a VPC with internet access. And many of you in your AWS accounts will already have a VPC just like this. It's called your default VPC. And if it suits your needs and that's all you need, you are welcome to use it. That's totally fine but it still behooves you to understand how VPC works so that you can make changes or you can you know, do different things later and you can make sure that you're not gonna run into any issues later on. So let's get started. What are we, what are we gonna have to do to create this VPC? First thing, we're gonna choose an IP address range, right? We control it, we pick it. Next thing, we'll divide our network into subnetworks or subnets and I'll talk about how you use these to build higher availability applications. We're gonna add routing so that our network is reachable from the internet. And once it's reachable from the internet, we're gonna talk about how do we make it only accessible to the traffic that we actually want it to be accessible to. So cho choosing an IP address range, this is my network, I get to pick it, it's a private network, so I want to pick a private range of IP addresses. Some of you are going to recognize this, so I'll go through it pretty quickly. We use this notation a lot in VPC, and I'm going to be using it in this talk. This is CIDA notation. That's classless interdomain routing. And it's an IPv4 address, followed by a slash, followed by a number. And the way it works is you write the IPv4 address out in binary, so you get a 32-bit number. And then the slash 16 means you hold the high 16 bits steady and the low 16 bits can vary. So this gives us the IP range 172.31.something.something. All of those IPs are in this IP range. Now, this was an IPv4 example. I'm going to use a lot of IPv4 examples in this session. VPC does support IPv6. And there is a session later today that focuses specifically on IPv6. So this is the range I'm choosing, 172.31.something.something. So the question is, why? So the first thing you want to think about is following convention. RFC 1918 is an RFC for private networks. So to make it easier when other people have a look at my IP addresses, they understand what they are, I'm gonna follow convention. The second thing we've done is pick a slash 16. It's big. It gives us over 65,000 IP addresses to use. Now, you may not really need that much space on day one. That's totally fine. It doesn't cost you anything. 
and it gives you so much room to grow, to move things around. So you might as well just go with a slash 16. Now, one other thing to bear in mind is, do you have other networks that you may want to connect your VPC to? Do you have an on-premise data center? Do you have other VPCs, either in your, your account or another account? Take a look at what those IP ranges are and try and pick a range that doesn't overlap because that'll prevent conflicts later on. And if you're not sure, you can start with a smaller IP range because you can come back later and add additional non-contiguous IP ranges to your VPC. Right, so we've got IPs. Let's talk about subnets or subnetworks. They're basically a sub-range of that IP address space that we made for the VPC. And they are how you use VPC to deploy high availability applications. So AWS has 16 regions, and a VPC is within a region, right? So in this example, I'm going to use our Dublin region, EU West 1. And an availability zone is, I mean, a region is divided into availability zones. So we've got EU West 1A, 1B, and 1C. An availability zone, for those who don't know, is kind of like a data center. It's got uh, redundant power, redundant networking. It's designed to have completely separate failure characteristics from any other availability zone. So you can see how you would want to build your applications across multiple availability zones. So when you create a subnet, a subnet is within an availability zone. And you need subnets because when you run an instance, when you create certain AWS resources, you're going to be specifying the subnet that you want those resources to be in. So having subnets is how you get your resources into a specific availability zone. So we pick ranges, just like we did for the VPC, 172.31.0. something, 172.31.1. something, same thing for US1C. So to recap, subnets, VPC sizing, slash 16, a really nice big VPC. For your subnets, we recommend a slash 24. Those of you who are good at math will be saying, aha, there's an error on the slide. It should be 256. It actually should be 251 because we reserve five IPs. And then we also recommend that you create a subnet in each and every availability zone so that you can launch instances into every availability zone. Now, you can add and remove subnets. You can have more than one. Don't worry too much about it. Remember, we've got the slash 16, so we have lots of space. Right, so this kind of brings us to the point of a network, which is sending traffic, routing. So how do we send traffic to the internet? So routing in your VPC is done with route tables. And route tables are a simple, easy to read list of rules that say traffic destined for this destination should be sent to this gateway. When you uh, create a VPC, you get a default route table, and that applies to everything inside of your VPC. 
but you can override routing on a subnet by subnet basis. And we'll go into that in a bit more detail shortly. So this is a look at the console uh, route tables. Here is the rule. So the default, the rule that's created by default in every, um, every route table says traffic destined for the IP address range of this VPC should be routed local. It should stay within the VPC. And if it's routed, in, if, it's, um, if you're trying to send traffic anywhere else, there's no rule. So it's going to go nowhere. The traffic will get dropped. And sometimes that's what you want. But not in this case. In this case, we actually want to send traffic to the internet. So to send traffic to the internet, you create an internet gateway. And you attach this to your VPC. And it's pretty simple. It's a gateway that sends traffic to the internet. So we go back to our route table, and we add a route. And the route says, everything that matches 0.0.0.0 slash .0, .0, 0, that's side annotation for match everything. It's a default route. Everything that matches that should be sent to the internet gateway, to the internet. Now, the order doesn't matter of the rules. It's doing most specific route. So you don't need to worry about that. The other thing to think about here is, I know it says internet gateway. It's not a single point of failure. This is an abstraction backed by something highly available. So now we're sending traffic to the internet. But we don't really want to get traffic from just anywhere, right? So that brings us to network security. And AWS VPC has some pretty powerful yet simple tools that uh, allow you to do network security. Uh, and, and this is the kind of thing that you would, in a traditional data center, do with firewalls. So here's an example. We've got some web servers. And our web servers accept requests from the internet. And in the course of handling one of these requests, they turn around and they make a request to some backend servers. Right, so we've got our yellow web servers and our blue backend servers. And they share, each group of instances shares a common use, a common purpose. So different rules apply to them. They're in different groups, different security groups. So we can create these security groups, put the appropriate instances in them, and we can say, allow web traffic from everywhere to my web servers. But for my backends, only allow traffic from my web servers, from instances in my web servers group. This is how this looks in the EC2 console. You create a, uh, a security group, and your security group has a rule that says, allow all HTTP traffic, right? So you control the protocol, you control the port, and you control the source from everywhere. You'll also see here I've got an IPv6 example just to show you that it works exactly the same. It's pretty simple. Second thing I wanted to call out, because this is new since last year, is that you can add a rule on each, you can add a, a description on each and every rule, which makes it so much simpler when you're maintaining these groups, when multiple people are looking at them, when you want to remember 
Why did I create this? What, you know, what, what, what does it do? So let's look at the backends. These are a little bit more interesting because they're not just allowing everything. So in this case, you'll notice that the source is not a range of IPs. It's another security group. This is so flexible. You're basically saying allow traffic on port 2345 from any instance in this other security group, in the web server's security group. That is a zero maintenance way of keeping the, the principle of least privilege, of keeping all of these things up to date without you having to do anything. You can add and remove IPs, right? Because in a traditional data center, you would have to go in and change the config every time you created a new server. You remove a server, you've got to go in, change the config, make sure things are only talking to the right thing. Here it just works. It just works automatically. And in EC2, we want you to be elastic. So this is super, super powerful. So security groups. Follow the principle of least privilege. Only allow things to talk to things that they should be able to talk to, and don't allow anything else. Uh, both of those examples were for uh, ingress rules, incoming traffic. You can create rules for outgoing traffic as well, but by default, they just allow all outgoing traffic. Right, so remember at the beginning, I said that I would give you everything you need to create a VPC, get productive, and be secure in EC2? This is the point. Basically, this is everything you really, really need to know. This is the basics. And you can now be productive and secure. Very important. So we've got this internet-connected VPC. So what other options are there for connectivity? So the first one is restricting internet access. Maybe you don't want your entire VPC to be accessible from the internet. The second is if you have an architecture that has multiple VPCs, either in your own account or maybe you have multiple accounts, each with a VPC, and you want to peer those together, we'll talk about VPC peering, which allows you to achieve that. And then last, but definitely not least, if you are migrating to AWS or you want to run a hybrid infrastructure, there are a couple of ways of connecting your VPC to your on-premise data center. So, restricting access. We spoke about how the default route table applied to the entire VPC. You can also route by subnet. So let's have a look at our web server example. This doesn't replace security groups. You still want to use the security groups you created. I'm not putting them in the diagram. Just kind of simplify things. But remember, we have our yellow web servers. They're getting traffic from the internet. And our blue backends, they're only getting traffic from our web servers. So you can put each group into their own subnet. Because the subnet is the unit that we're doing routing on. And we can say, the web servers have a route table that has a route to an internet gateway, but the backend servers don't. They can't route to the internet. And 
One reason you might want to do this is if you have any kind of compliance or auditing requirements that need you to show that your uh, servers are not routable from the internet. This is one way. Uh, the other reason people do this is just to take a real belt and suspenders approach to security, having security groups and just not allowing anything through that shouldn't come through. In our documentation, and in the rest of this presentation, I'm going to refer to a subnet that has a route to the internet or to an internet gateway as a public subnet. I remember this because you need a public IP to talk to the internet, so a public subnet. Um, and then one that has no route to the internet gateway is a private subnet. So let's look at another example here. So if you have a private subnet, you've got some very important stuff that's running in a private subnet, and you need to maybe reach out from those instances to a yum repo to get updated uh, software. You can't do that. You have no route to the internet. And what you usually do is, in this case, is you would use network address translation. So you could run an instance in the public subnet. Actually, let's click on one. You could run an instance in the public subnet and uh, basically proxy traffic through that. Network address translation uh, takes the private IP that you were coming from, right? Your source is a private IP, and it rewrites it to a public IP, sends it to the internet, and when the response comes, sends it back. That's fine, you can do that. Uh, we even provide ummies so that you can go and, and launch a, a, a NAT instance pretty easily. But it's much easier if you use a NAT gateway. A NAT gateway is a gateway that you send traffic to when you want that traffic to be NATed, to have network address translation. So you create this in EC2, in the console, using the APIs, you specify an elastic IP address. That's a public IP that you control. And then all traffic coming from your private subnet that you route to that NAT gateway is going to appear on the internet as if it were coming from that public IP. And it works exactly like the internet gateway in terms of routing. In your route table, you add a rule that says everything destined for the internet, everything destined for everywhere, send to the NAT gateway, and it just works. And again, this is not a single point of failure. This is something highly available, and it's a virtual device for your purposes. So this last example on this topic is um, using both security groups and subnets. So we've got our private subnet. We've got a bunch of instances there. We've got a public subnet. Nothing really important runs there. We really, really want to isolate stuff. But we want to SSH in. We want to be able to SSH in and troubleshoot and see what's going on. Um, but we can't get there because we have no route to the internet. So what we can do is we can create an instance that's an SSH bastion. That's kind of like a, a proxy for your SSH connections. And this SSH bastion is going to be in a security group, right? So I can SSH to that bastion um, because it's got access to the internet. It's got a route to the internet. But I'm going to put it in a security group and say, only allow SSH connections, right, port 22, from a known IP range. I don't want just anyone being able to SSH to my bastion instance. I want to say, 
when people are in my data center, they can SSH to my Bastion instance. And from the Bastion, you can SSH into your, into your remaining fleet, right? Anything coming from the Bastion is allowed. Anything coming from your corporate IP or your known IP range is allowed. So the subnet would have just been a big yes, no. The security groups allow you some finer grain control on, on port, on source, on protocol. Right. Who here is thinking of an architecture that maybe has more than one VPC in it or more than one account in it? It's pretty common. Yeah, I see a lot of hands. There we go. So when you have multiple VPCs and you want to share either some resources, some services across those, you have one option, which is you can connect both of those VPCs to the internet, and you can send traffic out of one, across the internet, into the other. But as we've just discussed, you have many reasons why you don't want to just be opening things up to the internet. So that's where VPC peering comes in. VPC peering gives you private IP connectivity between two non-overlapping VPCs. Right? This is where that IP range selection is important. This kind of allows you to build, as in the picture, a hub-and-spoke architecture. You've got one connecting to another one. So VPC peering, non-overlapping IP ranges, gives you full private IP connectivity. And one of the things that's really cool is your tools of least privilege, your security groups, just work here. They work exactly the same. So you can continue to be secure even though you've gone and joined these two networks. Now, you don't want an appearing connection just to be created because one side said so. So the process to actually create appearing is the orange side would, in this case the orange side, would initiate the request. Say, I want to appear with the blue VPC. The blue VPC would accept that peering request if they also want that connection to be opened. At that point, you have a peering connection. But no traffic is going to be sent until you do, yes, add a route. So the peering connection, PCX, it behaves just like a gateway. You say traffic that looks like it's destined for that other VPC over there, Send that to the peering connection, and it's just going to work. Now, those of you looking closely at the slide will see that there's a, a gateway or a target type that we haven't discussed yet, the VGW. That's a virtual private gateway. And that's what we're going to talk about next. So as I said, if you're migrating to AWS or if you have a hybrid deployment, it's very, very useful to be able to connect with, privately connect your on-premise data center with your VPC. Now I'm gonna take a brief segue here. This is kind of the genesis in some ways of VPC because back when EC2 launched initially, there was no VPC. So when you launched an instance, you ran your instance in the EC2 network. And it was a 10 dot IP range. And you got given the choice between internet connectivity and internet connectivity. So you got internet connectivity. Um, 
And, you know, you had security groups, so you could be secure. Like, it was pretty good. And this, this is the EC2 Classic Network. It still exists today. Um, but we started having customers who wanted to connect their own data centers to their resources in EC2. But they were running in a 10.IP range, and we were running in a 10.IP range, and those two things did not mix. And so that's kind of where VPC was born. We realized that customers really want to be able to control the network on both sides of that connection. So VPC is exactly that. It's allowing you control of your network in EC2. So there are two technologies for doing um, connections between your on-premise network and your VPC. The first is VPN, Virtual Private Network. And the second is AWS Direct Connect. I'm going to explain these at a very high level uh, when you might want to use each, but they're massive topics all on their own. And so if this is something that is useful to you or interesting to you, you should definitely learn much more about them and go to some of the sessions. Um, they are awesome and super useful. Okay, so high-level overview of VPN. In your own data center, you will configure one of your own devices, say a router, and um, you will use, we've got some step-by-step -step instructions in our documentation. We support a wide variety of vendors, each multiple devices for each. And so you'll set up this router to be your customer gateway. Once you've set that up, you give us the statically routable IP address. Then on the VPC side, you create your virtual private gateway, your VGW. And if you've done this correctly, and everything's lining up, you're going to get two IPsec tunnels so that you can send encrypted traffic from your on-premise data center to your VPC over the internet. Now, we recommend that you go and configure and set both of these tunnels up because they terminate in two separate availability zones, allowing you to take advantage of AWS's global infrastructure. The last thing to do here is add a route to your route table that says, traffic that looks like it's destined for the IP range of my on-premise network, send it to my virtual private gateway. And that's all there is to it. Works pretty similarly from the VPC side for Direct Connect. However, instead of it being encrypted traffic over the internet, uh, as it is with VPN, Direct Connect is literally plugging a cable from your equipment into our equipment in one of our many co-location centers around the world. Which one you use depends on your data transfer needs. So if you have really high data transfer needs, Direct Connect is going to be the best bet. And we do have customers who use both. As the slide says, for highest availability. Right, so that's VPC. That's a bunch of different uh, connectivity options for getting between your VPCs, getting to the internet. Um, now I want to talk a bit about how VPC relates to the rest of AWS. Now, this hurts my feelings a little bit, but I suspect you aren't here at reInvent and you aren't interested in AWS purely because of networking. 
or purely because of VPC. I suspect you're really here because of the wide variety of services that we offer and, and all of the exciting new stuff that's coming out. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about how VPC and all of those other services interact. We're gonna talk about DNS. You can do some cool stuff in your VPC with DNS. We're gonna look at some services that actually run inside of your VPC. Then we'll talk about a pretty cool setup we have for getting private access to AWS endpoints from within your VPC. And then lastly, I'll show you how to get visibility into all the stuff we've discussed and really understand what is going on. So one very basic service of a network is DNS, which allows you to do domain name resolution. And in VPC, you can do split horizon DNS. So this is a look at the VPC console, and there are two DNS options here. And you wanna say yes to both of them because it gives you some, some cool stuff uh, and we'll touch on some of those things in a moment. Um, the first is DNS resolution. Do you want Amazon to take care of DNS for you? You can run your own DNS server, but most of you probably don't want to or need to. The second one is DNS host names. DNS host names means that every time you launch an EC2 instance, you'll get a host name. And you get all of this without having to operate any machinery yourself. So this is a look at Amazon Route 53. This is um, Amazon's managed DNS service. And most of the time, people use this for public-facing DNS. But you can also use a, something called a private hosted zone, which allows you to take over a zone inside of your VPC. So for example, I have taken over demohostedzone.org. I don't own that, but in my VPC, I control what DNS does. I can make demohostedzone.org do whatever I want. So in this example, I've set up example.demohostedzone.org to point to 172.31.0.99. That's a private IP in my VPC. So anyone, any server inside my VPC tries to access that DNS name, it's gonna behave differently than it would if we were outside in the internet. That's pretty cool. So lots and lots and lots of AWS services are running infrastructure on your behalf. So it's your infrastructure. And because it's yours, we're gonna give you the choice to run it inside your own network, in your VPC. Now, there are quite a lot of services, there are quite a lot of examples of this, so I'm not gonna go through every single service that does this, but I will go over two patterns that you're going to see repeated over and over again. And specifically, these patterns exist to take advantage of um, the high availability infrastructure and multiple availability zones. So first example is with Amazon RDS database. When you create an Amazon RDS database, you're given the option to run the database in your VPC. And the first thing you're asked about is security groups, your tools of least privilege. And these work just the same as they do with instances. You specify what can and can't talk to what, 
and they just work. The second thing you're going to be asked about is subnets. And when we ask you about subnets, what we're really asking you about is availability zones. And so it's a good idea to specify more than one availability zone so that you can be distributed over multiple availability zones for higher availability. So with the RDS example, if you specified multiple subnets in different availability zones, you'd get a master database in one zone, in one subnet, and you'd get a failover candidate, a standby, in a second zone. And this I call the active standby pattern, right? Specified multiple availability zones, one active resource and one standby resource ready to come along if anything, else, anything happens to the first. The other thing to call out here is you get a DNS name that's always going to point to the active uh, database. So the second example is application load balancer. This is a layer seven or an HTTP load balancer run by ELB, elastic load balancing. Same thing, security groups, they work the same. And again, you're asked about subnets, but what you're really being asked about is availability zones. Except in this case, when you specify multiple availability zones, your application load balancer is actually going to create nodes in multiple availability zones so that it's constantly load balancing across multiple availability zones for higher availability. And you're gonna see these patterns repeat over and over again for various different services. So VPC endpoints. VPC endpoints give a direct private connection to AWS services from within your VPC. It allows you to continue to practice the principle of least privilege. Uh, also, in some cases, you get some pretty interesting tools for access management. So I'll go into that in a little bit more detail as well. So this is how the world works today. Uh, I'm gonna use S3 as the example here. You have your application, it's running in VPC, happy days. You've got your data, your data is in your S3 bucket, and your data is kind of a part of your application. Now, when you resolve the, the S3 bucket's DNS name, you're gonna get a public IP address. So if you want to access your data in S3, you're gonna to have to create a way of going over the internet, either an internet gateway or maybe a NAT gateway, something like that. And when you make the request, you're going over the internet to S3 to get your data and bring it back to your application. And VPC endpoints exist to solve this. So there are two types of VPC endpoint. The first type is a gateway VPC endpoint. Gateway VPC endpoints are supported for Amazon S3 and DynamoDB. And the way they work is you create a VPC endpoint and you put a route in your route table. They behave just like all the other gateways. You put a route in your route table that says traffic that is destined for this service, S3 in this example, will be sent to this VPC endpoint. Again, not a single point of failure, something highly available backed by AWS. 
And that's really all there is to it. It just works. You don't have to change your code. You're not pointing at something specific. It just works. Another thing that you get with a gateway VPC endpoint is the ability to add identity and access management policies on the VPC endpoint. And this applies directly to the endpoint. So you can say exactly what the VPC can do and cannot do in each service that it's talking to. With S3, you also have the ability to add a policy on the S3 bucket which means you can actually lock down that bucket and say this bucket is only accessible from traffic coming through that VPC endpoint. This is really, really cool if you want to lock things down. So the second type of VPC endpoint, this is pretty recent, this is a couple of weeks ago we launched this, is an interface VP, VPC endpoint. And you'll also hear this spoken about uh, as AWS private link for AWS services. So this works very differently. Um, it is a VPC endpoint, so you create a VPC endpoint. And when you create a VPC endpoint, you specify subnets and it creates a, an elastic network interface in each of the subnets that you specified. Now, that elastic network interface has a private IP, and when you send traffic to that private IP, it goes to the VPC endpoint and directly to the service. So you have private IP connectivity to AWS services from within your VPC. Now, because this isn't a gateway, you don't use a route table to send traffic to it. You get given some DNS names. You get one DNS name that'll have all of the IPs, and then you also get given a zonal DNS name for each specific IP so that if you do want to keep traffic within a zone, you can. But this is, you know, these are IP, I'm, DNS names and there are lots of them and you would have to change your code. So you can also choose to let us manage a DNS name in your VPC that looks exactly like the DNS name of the service outside of your VPC. So when you resolve that DNS inside your VPC, you'll go to your IPs, your VPC endpoint. And if you were outside, you'd go to the public endpoint. So again, you don't have to change your code, you don't have to do anything, it's just going to work. So there's a lot of stuff going on in your VPC, you've got security groups, maybe stuff isn't working as you expect. How do you get visibility into your VPC? Into your VPC? So you do this with VPC flow logs. VPC flow logs get uh, aggregated metadata about accepted and rejected uh, traffic and allow you to easily go and, and look at that. They really help you tell what your security groups are doing. You don't have to manage any infrastructure for this either. This just works. And it's pretty simple to set up too. You go to the VPC console to the flow logs tab and there's a button. You fill in some stuff, and then you'll start getting your VPC flow logs pushed to Amazon CloudWatch logs, and that looks like this. So let me draw your attention to this entry over here. This is a reject, so it's a bit more interesting than most of what's going on on the rest of that page. 
So we can see that this was some rejected traffic. And we can see that it was UDP port 53, which some of you may know is DNS. So someone was scanning my instance, trying to see if I was running a DNS server. And my security groups don't allow this kind of traffic, so this got rejected. It got dropped. But, you know, who was doing that? Why were they scanning it? Well, we can do a reverse lookup on the IP address, and we can see that internetpolice.columbia was scanning for DNS servers, and they happened to hit one of my instances. Cool, I guess I can live with that. All of the accept traffic, anyone who's wondering, we expect that. We've got a load balancer running, we're load balancing traffic on port 8080, we want to see some accepted traffic, we want to know that our traffic is getting through successfully. Cool. Right, so to wrap up, what have we talked about? What have we learned today? So we learned about your network, and your VPC is your network. And we spoke a bit about your resources in AWS, your instances and your other types of infrastructure. We spoke about how to do networking in EC2 and how to use subnets for higher availability applications. We spoke about security, very important. How to control who can talk to whom in a low maintenance way and following the principle of least privilege. We spoke about running AWS services inside of your VPC, and we spoke about getting visibility with, AWS flow, with VPC flow logs. We also discussed a bunch of connectivity options, connectivity to the internet with internet gateways, to your on-premise networks with VPN and Direct Connect, to other VPCs using VPC peering, and then to various AWS services using two different types of VPC endpoints. All of this gives you visibility, gives you a flexible and zero maintenance network, and it's entirely under your control. Now, there are a bunch of other sessions. I mentioned a couple, couple of them during this talk. Um, but many of them will give you a deeper look and in some cases actually explain to you how some of this stuff works when you look a little bit deeper. Thank you very much. At this point, if I've done my job, if I've done my job this, this year, I won't see you back here next year, but you will come back to reInvent. Cool. We'll be up front for questions if anyone has. Thank you.